You know, in a lot of ways, our church is a second chance church. You may not know what that means. <clears throat> I get hoarse from uh, being out there with you guys sometimes, you know, and just lifting my voice up and singing. And <clears throat> um, yeah, our church is a second chance church in a lot of ways. And probably only a handful of people know what this means. But though we launched in 2004, there were about six years that I was just waiting for God to birth this church in his time. I had sensed in 1998, God saying, hey, Todd, this is the the way. There's a church in Ankeny, and I'd like for you to plant it. And I, I just sensed a very strong calling towards that end. But there were some timing things, and there were some other other situations that just, it wasn't the right time. And and though we tried, and though I thought this might be the right time, it just it didn't work. And there's a lot more to that story than what you know. And don't, don't worry about it. It's not bad. It's just facts. But for in our hearts, for six years, Julie and I just waited for the right time. And we told the Lord, the next time, Lord, we won't just kind of tiptoe through the door. We'll make a mad dash. And in 2003, 2004, God just opened the door. And we did exactly that. And I recall where we were. We were driving down uh, Ankeny Boulevard. We were... Right on, just on the side of DMAC. And I looked at Julie and I said, what do you think about this fall? I think it was like January or February. I don't know exactly the date. But I said, what do you think about this fall? She's like, honey, that just seems so soon. I said, I thought you'd agree. Let's do it this fall. That's great, you know. And I think in her mind it might have gone like that. I don't know. But all I know is God just put our hearts together. We prayed and we talked. And, and, and it worked out. And, and, you know, now today to be able to be a, pastor here at First Family and to humbly walk with you through the things that God's done in your life and the story he's writing in your life and to be a part of that. It's very humbling. And I just want you to know that's probably one of the reasons that I feel so incredibly grateful to be here. Because I feel like this church, though you may think it's about four and a half years old, in my mind it's been about ten and a half years, you know. And God has just uh, put an insane passion in my heart for this location and for you guys. And I'm just so thankful to walk along with you as God builds his body here. Amen. So I trust that you have the same response. You know, second chances do that to us, don't they? They build within us an incredible sense of gratitude. I recall a humorous occasion in which I was very thankful for a second chance as well. And it's because on the first chance I looked pretty stupid. As you know, I wrestled all through high school and I wasn't very good. And I wrestled in the South. So that's probably another reason I wasn't very good. And it's not like Iowa, trust me. Uh, there's good people there, but for the most part, the, the wrestling in the South is like a different breed. It's uh, it's just not what it is up here. And so I was a, a wrestler for a few years, and I remember in my last year, I was trying to find a way to get an edge on the opponent. I was trying to think of ways that I could, you know, psych him out ahead of time. And wrestlers do crazy things before they go to wrestle. A lot of times you'll see them, uh, they'll be behind the bench on the side, and they're kind of jumping around, you know, and they're shaking their arms like they're rubber, and they've got their sweat jacket or their suits on. They're trying to stay warm, and then they'll hit themselves in their headgear, and they just kind of act like, you know, man, I'm ready to go out there, and I'm ready to just dominate, you know. And So I thought, maybe I should do more of that, and the other guy across the mat would probably see me, and maybe he'd be a little intimidated, you know. So by last year, I thought, I'm going to do that. I only weighed about 160 pounds in my senior year, and I lost weight to about 132 so I was this scrawny little senior kid, and so I, I thought, you know, I'm going to get in this little locker room. We had a locker room in our gym, and then it led to a foyer. And you could stand in the little foyer there, and then the door would open to the gym. So I thought, I'm going to get in that little foyer, and I'm going to 
look all bad and mean. And then they're going to open the door. There's a few seconds left, and that guy's going to see me. I'm going to run out to the mat. I'm going to get at those lines, and I'm going to be ready to go. I'm going to shake my hands, and I'm going to ready to tackle him and, and pin him. So I said, okay. And a friend of mine who was on our team, Billy, he said, sure, I'll help you out. I'll hold the door open for you. <laughs> so first match comes along, and I'm in this little room just waiting, you know, and I'm trying to psych myself out. I'm doing what they do, you know, and I'm boom, boom. And he says, Todd, there's only 10 seconds left. I said, open the door. And so Billy opens the door, and, and the match ends, and they call my name for the 132 weight class. And I come running out, and I jump over the bench. I go to the mat in the middle, and here's the lines, and I'm like, come on, buddy, and I'm all ready. And the ref leans down and says, hey, son. You might want to take your jacket off and get your headgear. So here I am in front of all these people with no headgear, which is required, and my jacket's still on. So I'm like, well, um, so all the intimidation was lost at that point, you know. So I turn around, I go back, here's my coach. His, this hand's empty and this hand's holding my headgear. He's like, do you want these? I'm like, yes, sir. So I take my jacket off, I put the headgear on, and by that time I'm crawling back out there to the mat, you know. But the ref gave me a chance at least. I think I went and got pinned probably. I don't remember exactly. But, uh, you know, he probably could have disqualified me. He could have said, you're not ready to wrestle. You're done. But he, he gave me a shot even though embarrassing as it was. And there are stories like that of people who got second chances. Some of them are humorous and embarrassing. Some of them are memorable. You won't know this name. Fred Merkel played in the 1908 World Series. He made a terrible error and cost his team the World Series. He became known as Bonehead Merkel. But what you don't know is that he went on to play 14 more seasons in Major League Baseball and went to five World Series. He got a second chance, didn't he? Same thing's true for a guy named Roy Riggles. I'd like to have that name, Roy Riggles. He played in the 1929 Rose Bowl against Georgia Tech. He was the one guy who recovered a fumble and was about to run 65 yards the other direction, almost scored for the other team in the Rose Bowl, till one of his own players caught up with him and tackled him on the five-yard line. They ended up losing by a few points, all because of the field goal that Georgia Tech got in the last few minutes, because of this inerrant fumble recovery and run the opposite direction. At halftime, and in the next game, the coach said to, this, to the team, we have the same starting lineup we had last game. And their coach was Nibs Price. And Roy Riggles writes that Nibs Price was the one guy who gave him a second chance after almost blowing it. Then there's more sobering types of second chance stories, like Betty Maxfield. Betty Maxfield was in the Pentagon in September of 01 when the plane crashed into that building. You can read her full story on our website. I want to encourage you to go there. You'll see it right there on the front page. But in a nutshell, she describes crawling on her hands and feet and pretty much confident she was crawling to her death. Smoke was everywhere and she said things were falling and there was fire. She says at the last, I remember being asked to jump out of a window that was two stories up. I did. And she goes, all I recall is that I saw a blue sky at some point and some medical technicians and I knew God had given me a second chance. Read more of her story on our website. You'll be real pleased with it. You see, there are stories like that of second chances from, from sobering, life-saving moments to just humorous incidents. Jonah has one for us as well. He's got a story about a second chance, but his is far deeper and more insightful than just uh, perhaps a, a, 
one from a human level. It's, it's the second chance that God gave him. Look with me at Jonah 3, would you? And let's understand this morning some things about second chances that I think will help us hear an echo of grace and live uh, a lifestyle that seems to resound with echoes of grace. John chapter 3, I'm going to read the first two or three verses. And let's understand a little bit about Jonah's second chance. Can we? Your Bibles are open. Have you have a pen handy? And The Bible says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, say it with me, a second time. You read it earlier. Here it is again. This is simply the, the Hebrew uh, number two. It literally means two, a second time. Now, that's translated as the number 87 times throughout the Old Testament. There are seven times this same word's translated another, and then there are an additional seven times it's translated again. But whether you use the word again or another or second, you get the distinct impression in, in those times that he's talking about an additional opportunity. Are you with me? A fresh slate, a clean chance. That's what came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, a, an extra opportunity, a grace opportunity. Again, here it is. Now, the words in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, almost, at least in the Hebrew text, almost mirror the words in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. There's a few differences. One is that in chapter 1, he mentions his father, Amittai. He doesn't mention this here in chapter 3. Also, God's word to him is a little different in the sense that what he told him to do. He said the same gist, but just worded a little differently. And also, Jonah's response is different. In chapter 1, Jonah responds by doing what? He does rise up and go, but he goes where? To Tarshish. He goes the opposite direction. Instead of going 500 miles northeast of the northern kingdom, which is where Nineveh was, he takes off thousands of miles west. He wants to go as far in the opposite direction as he can. But this time, when the word of the Lord came again, a second time, another opportunity, Jonah rose up and he obeyed. He carried out. He fulfilled. He followed through. Now listen very carefully for a second. We're going to be talking more about this, but let me just kind of give you a, a glance into some things about second chances that are important. Though the word came a second time, this was the first time Jonah obeyed, wasn't it? And often, our second chances are actually first obediences. Does that make sense? That's what God desires. God desires that you and I respond in obedience, even though he's calling to us a second time. That's really God's heart. Respond in obedience, just like Jonah finally did for the first time. Let's word it like this. Maybe write this down. Let's say it like this. Jonah's first response to the second time is what God wants every time. In fact, will you say that with me? Here we go. Ready? Jonah's first response the second time is what God wants every time. Imagine the trouble we would save ourselves if instead of waiting for the second time, or the third time, or the next opportunity, or the another opportunity, or the again of our life. Instead of waiting for those times, if we said on the first time, God, I'm hearing you loud and clear, and I'm there. We'd save ourselves a lot of heartache 
probably a lot of trouble and a lot of time. If we would respond in obedience when God speaks to us. Now, that's really the nutshell of these first two or three verses. God spoke again very clearly and very uh, in the same way, and Jonah responded differently by obeying. And if you take that at face value, that's awesome. It's, it's pretty simple and pretty cut and dry. And you may leave here thinking, okay, everybody gets a second chance. God gave us one. I'm done with that. And, and there might be from that a misunderstanding of really what second chances are all about. So this morning I want to delve a little deeper into this idea of second chances. And I want to give you some insight so that you don't leave with, an, with a dysfunctional view of second chances. Because sometimes we can use those to leverage people in the wrong way. Sometimes we can um, have an unhealthy view of second chances. We don't really understand much about them. And so we leave and, and we, uh, because we don't understand them, we, we use them in ways that really don't help people and don't help ourselves. So I want to, this morning, based on what Jonah said here and his understanding of saying this and what God teaches us, I want to give you four just real basic principles, what I call echoing principles about second chances that are not only seen here, but they're supported throughout the scriptures as a way to help us understand this concept better so that we can use it more effectively. First of all, understand this, that second chances are totally and completely grace-based. All right? It's very important that you understand that another opportunity, an extra swing, shall we call it, didn't come because you deserve it. It doesn't come because I merited it. Are you with me? There, it's completely a grace-based gift. Now, you may think that's obvious. You may think that's, that's plain. But I would challenge you to watch the attitude of people around you and perhaps even the attitude of your own heart sometimes when you swing and miss. There is a sense in people that, well, you know what? I get a second chance, don't I? It's almost like we think we have a right to a, to a second chance. And can I say to you that anything beyond a first try is a grace try. And we need to look at it and have that, an attitude that responds appropriately. In fact, let me, let me show you an interesting verse that I think helps us understand what's going on as we look around us and as we see the patience of God and, and the chances people are having. Look at 2 Peter 3.15. Here's an awesome verse that describes... Really, where, chan- where second chances come from, okay? Second Peter 3, verse 15. This just coincides well with Jonah chapter 3. I mean, the Bible says in Jonah 3 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It didn't say that Jonah, you know, asked God for it. It didn't say that he earned it. It just says that God in his grace and his mercy decided to speak to Jonah again. He was going to give Jonah one more try. Look at this verse in Second Peter 3, verse 15. It says here that, We're to bear in mind that our Lord's patience, whose patience is it? It's not something we're earning. It's not that we are uh, cornering God or leveraging God. God within himself, his own character is patient. And what does that mean? It means salvation. The fact that God is waiting and holding off judgment is not because you earned it or I earned it or that we deserve it. It's strictly in the nature of God to offer a second chance a clean slate a fresh opportunity it's all about god are you with me and i think it's very important to understand fundamentally that second chances are not anything that we deserve 
or that, that we earned or that we can talk someone into. Second chances are strictly grace-based. If you, are the benef- uh, if you benefit from one, I would encourage you to respond in a way that shows that you realize you didn't maneuver for this or leverage for this. You will just receive it humbly. That's the kind of response you ought to give. And that brings me to the second observation about second chances. Second chances are best received with a humble response, usually after a blown first chance. Are you with me? Sometimes we don't don't understand how crucial a second chance is until we've had a first chance that didn't go real well. Now, listen very carefully. I think Jonah 2 and Jonah 3 are connected. But let me show you how I think they're connected. Listen very carefully. I want you to understand this. This is a hard thing to grasp, okay? Because it's, it's kind of like we're, we're, we're going to be drawing a fine line here. I don't think Jonah 2 caused God to do a Jonah 3, to come to him a second time. I think that's in God's sovereignty, His grace. He is a patient, graceful God. But I do think Jonah 2 enabled Jonah to receive the second chance in the right way. It conditioned Jonah for a second chance. Does that make sense? It, it, it didn't cause God, but it did condition Jonah. And that's what humility and that's what meekness does for us. It postures us in the best way possible to hear the call of the Lord a second time. It's much like salvation. Some folks say, well, did I choose God or did God choose me? It's an impossible thing to sometimes reconcile with because from our side of the fence, it looks like we chose. But the truth is, God elected us. He saved us. We were dead. Are you with me? God does all the saving. It's like on this side, there's this doorway. And on this side, I like the way this is what Mike Hayne kind of shares sometimes. It's a good way to look at it. On this side of the doorway, which is our side, it says, um, I follow. You go through the doorway and you turn around, which is God's side, and it says, he chose me. Sometimes it's the way to look at it. You're like, okay, what happened here? And the same way true with this, with this idea of, of second chances. You may think, wow, I was so humble and meek that God, well, probably God was in his, in his sovereign grace was there for you when you needed it. And the humility you showed conditioned your heart to hear him better next time and to respond in the proper way. Can I ask everyone here, as God uh, reveals his grace and, and gives you second chances, man, to, to let your circumstances condition your heart to hear those and receive those well. Have a humble attitude. Uh, fall upon your face. Take a posture of meekness. That's the best way to receive a second chance, to, to truly uh, embrace one and understand one. And a posture of humility. That's what Jonah 2 is all about. And sure enough, as he's humble before the Lord and as he sees God in all of his majesty, then when the word of the Lord comes again to Jonah, I think he's conditioned to say, verse 3, well, I'm ready to obey. I will rise up and go to Nineveh. There's another observation about second chances that I want to make, though. And that's this. Second chances are all about a different course of action next time. They are future focused. It's very important that you understand this because I think sometimes in our culture we have the impression that that second chances are like do-overs. Okay? But now watch me here, First Family. We don't really want to do it over, do we? We don't really want to do it completely over. That's like saying to a golfer who's up for a a shot on the 12th tee. He takes a swing. I don't golf, by the way. I've maybe golfed a handful of times. I'm terrible. He takes a swing back and, and he shanks it way left into somebody's living room. 
He says, I want to do over. I've often wanted to say, great, please do that exactly over. That'll help me a lot. He doesn't really mean he wants to do over, does he? If he did it over, he'd do what? He'd shank it left in the living room again. What we're actually saying is, I want a, a, a retry. I want another opportunity, though. I want to do it right. So inherent, listen very carefully, inherent in second chances is that there will be a different outcome. There will be a, a different course of action. This is really seen in Jonah's life. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And this time there was an expectation that something would be different. It wouldn't be a repeat of disobedience, but it would be a, 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 a first time obedience. And that's why I say to you, it's important that in second chances, you, you probably ought to in some way, if you're on this end or that end, giving them. There should be some kind of understanding that, you know what, we don't want a completely technical do-over. We're tired of the shakes. Why don't we take a retry, but let's look for a different outcome. Now, listen very carefully. Let me talk to you about something uh, I think that all of us are experiencing. I think this principle about second chances, it's been violated politically, culturally, and economically. And that's why many of us are feeling such frustration uh, right now with our country in some ways. I mean, athletes get up there and they say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I meant to tell you that three years ago. Yeah, and I forgot to tell you that I did take steroids, but I am sorry this time. What's different? Well, nothing's different, but I'm sorry. Forgive me. Let's, let's keep playing baseball. Let's keep playing football. But we ask ourselves this question, well, what's different? You I mean, you do. When you see someone say, hey, I'm sorry, I want a second chance. A lot of times we want to know what's different because inherent in second chances is the idea that something's going to be different. I mean, you look at our economy. And I'm sure you're wondering what I'm wondering sometimes. Okay, we keep doing the same things. What's really different? What's going to guarantee a different outcome? I mean, you hear this from Washington. Regardless of what party you affiliate with, for heaven's sake, it's, there's no magic party. Amen? And there's no man that's going to rescue us anyway. When you look at the situation, you, you say, okay, they keep saying we're going to change it. It's going to be different. But it seems like things stay the same. There's the same course of action, the same type of policies. And you think, man... They keep asking for another chance, but nothing really changes. And so what you find on the, on, on the landscape of the average person like you and me is a, a frustration. You keep offering the sense of like, okay, here's a retry. Here's another swing for you. But if nothing changes, it gets frustrating, doesn't it? You know why? Because inherent in second chances is the idea that there will be a different outcome. And that's not bad or unhealthy thinking. It's probably proper biblical thinking. And it could make a one relationship that's very dysfunctional move to where it's actually functional and healthy. When people realize, okay, let's try this again. There's forgiveness and grace, but we need a different outcome, so let's try a different approach. You think that sounds crazy? What do you think Jesus Christ meant in John 8 when he told the lady who was brought to him and had been caught in adultery? He did show grace. He pardoned her. It was like, wow, she has a clean slate. Another chance. She's got a fresh opportunity. But he said to her in John 8, 11, go. And then what did he say? Leave your life of sin. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, yes, there's grace. And then there's the government by which I operate. But I don't mean government there like the politics. I mean the God's economy. You see, a lot of times we try to say that God's grace and his government can't work together. And I don't believe that. 
Warren Wiersbe did a good job this past week in, in writing something about the, how they work in tandem. There is grace, no doubt. But then there's this economy which God sets up, this, this way in which He operates, the government of God, where obedience is kind of the expectation. And they work in tandem. They work hand in hand. And when those things work together, then second chances really produce what they're designed to produce. A lifestyle of obedience. The Jonah effect. Where when we hear God the second time, it's like, oh yes, this time I've got to do it different. And so we obey. Can I give a word of wisdom here to parents? Not because I have all wisdom, because I'm in the trenches with you. I'm journeying through the same experience. It might be beneficial for us in the proper way to investigate and, and probe when we're dealing with our children about their intentions next time. When often we're offering mercy and we're in the process of discipline. And James does say mercy wins out over judgment. And every kid loves mercy. The truth is every adult loves mercy. Amen. So in those times when second chances, well, there's a lot of amens right there. That was amazing. In those times when mercy reigns, I would advise you to be prudent and maybe pro about, well, tell me something, what's going to be different about next time? Because second chances are not designed to repeat the same action. Are you with me? Yes, it's another try, but it's another try to maybe, to, to, not to maybe, but to get it right, to obey, to see a different outcome. And as you go that direction, you'll reduce your frustration. I think it's modeled by our Lord, and it's one of the ways we can go from dysfunction to, to health in some of our relationships. Understand the clear expectation of second chances is that there will be a different outcome. And we'll walk together as we pursue that. There's one more observation about second chances I want to make with you. Second chances do run out. This is not saying that God's love runs out on us. This isn't saying that, um, that He quits being God. But it is saying there is a place from an earthly perspective on a human level chances run out there it's over and then judgment comes in the same chapter i mentioned earlier second peter three god's patience his forbearance the fact that he's waiting so long some men take that as like god has fallen asleep peter said he said man some folks thinking god's fallen asleep at the wheel he's forgotten you got a you got a god with gray hair you can't remember what's going on peter says don't think that god is slow or that he's forgotten He's just very patient. But one day, judgment will occur. And Peter talks about that. I'm reminded here, in fact, in this book of Jonah. If we were to take Jonah, it's four chapters, and add a chapter, it would be the book of Nahum, another minor prophet. Because Nahum details the destruction of Nineveh about a hundred years after this book was written. You see, this generation in Nineveh, yes, they heard, they responded. But that generation passed off the scene years uh, went by, and then folks turned to death here to the Lord, and God pronounced judgment through another minor prophet. And Nineveh was destroyed. I think about Noah. You recall Noah? For years he preached what? Rain is coming! Come on, get in the ark! And that's probably a loose translation of the original Hebrew, okay? For years he preached that, and I'm sure folks thought, Noah, rain, dude, we're not with you at all on that, and this big thing you're building, this barge-like Massive structure. I'm sure he underwent mockery. But he kept preaching, didn't he? He kept offering second chances. And one day God closed the door of the ark, didn't he? Closed it shut tight. 
And then days later, the rain from the top and the bottom came and just uh, engulfed the earth. I'm sure there was a point in time, I, I don't know how this happened, but all those who were left were probably wishing they would have listened that last time. Are you with me? See, chances run out. In fact, there's a verse in the New Testament that seems to talk about this concept. I want to have your attention drawn there for a minute. Would you look at 1 John, just for a second, chapter 5? Because this is a sobering verse about chances and fresh opportunities, about how God does give us time, but there are times that our sin will lead to no more time. I want to warn you up front, these are difficult verses to, to translate and understand. They're, they're tough. I don't have all the answers to these two verses. I'll tell you what I think personally. But I think in general the concept here that there is a sin that apparently only God knows that apparently someone or a person can commit and it kind of puts them over the line. Is this about unbelievers? Maybe. Is it about believers? Maybe. I'm not sure who it's addressed to. The book of 1 John's addressed to believers doesn't mean that there couldn't be a verse about unbelievers in there. So there's just some questions that are legitimate about this passage here. But I think the concept is very clear. And let me share with you what I think it is. Look at verse 16, 1 John 5. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. He's making a statement here that there are certain sins, I guess, certain types of sin that that aren't detrimental physically, as in they don't lead to death. But there is a sin that leads to death. And he could be talking there about unbelief. And if you choose not to believe, that's the eventual result, you'll die. I think he's talking more about there is a a sin that only God knows about. It may be particular to each individual. And that certain sin is probably the, the line. And when you step over it, God says, you know what? The physical act of dying is next on your agenda. Doesn't mean that everyone gets there, but that is a possibility, perhaps. He says that that's a possibility. I'm not saying that, the, that he should pray about that. Almost as if, you know what? When that happens, don't even bother praying about it. Because when that person steps over that line, that's really between him and God. God's just, it's a non-negotiable at that point. It's, these are tough verses, but... The real, the real contrast is this line, this place where, hey, suddenly you've stepped over this line and there's this sin now that you couldn't even pray about. It's between you and God. You've crossed it and, and there's no more chances. Look how he finishes up. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And these are tough verses, but I think they seem to indicate some things that Paul talked about in the book of, the, of uh, in the epistles of Corinthians when he said that if someone persists in rebellion... There's a place when the church turns them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You recall that passage? You may say, Todd, that's some hard hearing, man. Yeah, that's hard t- it's hard speaking, too. But there's a place, and we're not sure always where it is, where people get to where it's like, okay, you know what? Enough. And in my own mind, as, as small as it is, I told someone in first service, this is kind of how I look at it. It's almost if this is written to believers, and there's a place where believers can get to where they... They refuse to obey and listen. It's almost as if maybe God says, you know what? I've placed you here for certain reasons on this earth. You're refusing to listen and obey, so I'll just bring you on home now. Just kind of take care of that. It's almost as if that's kind of what's going on. Now, you may have some other views on that, but here's what I think we can agree on. There is a place in which chances run out. 
Why do you think in the New Testament as Christ preached, he continued to say, today is the day of salvation. Because he knew that his, he was on a timeline, a redemptive timeline. Their days would run out. His time on earth, of course, was on a timeline. And he wanted them to believe when? Not tomorrow. He wanted them to take action today. And in fact, that's really the nutshell action point I want you to leave with today. In light of Jonah, in light of these further insights about second chances, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to add a W to your life. And I want you to go from no to now. That's the best attitude to have. When you hear an echo of grace, when God's call rings out to you a second time or a third time, when it rings out to you again, please don't say no. Because you're not guaranteed another chance. Our attitude should be one of humility as we receive second chances. It is a grace-based gift from God completely. And the outcome should be different. God expects some obedience. And so he's offering this, this echo of grace so that perhaps the outcome is different. God, I'm hearing you loud and clear. And there's no more no's for me. I'll add a W and I'll do it. Say it with me. Now. That's what God's after. And I have no doubt you have heard that voice, that call, a second time today. Now, maybe not to go to Nineveh like was Jonah's command. But maybe what, for you, it might have been to make an apology to your spouse. You've been waiting all week. You said no every time the Lord's Spirit reminded you. Say, nope, I'm not going to do it today. You're banking on another chance. They're not guaranteed. And a different outcome is expected. So why don't you change your no to now. And today, hear the call and obey. It may be to apologize to your child. Or maybe it may be to make some amends in your home. Or it may be to obey God in an act of giving or serving. It could be a number of issues, relationships, habits, actions. But I know this much. God's Spirit is moving in your heart individually, even though I'm talking to you as a corporate group. And He's pinpointing an area where you need to move from no to now, isn't He? I'm sure He is. And He's identified that corner of your life where you've probably heard His call second, third, and fourth time and my job today is just to encourage you and exhort you not to say to, to, to say now and to not say no anymore. Just say, Lord, I'm there. I'll obey. Would you do that this morning? Whatever it is that God's speaking to your heart about, would you say now? And would you obey? It may even be about something as basic as your belief in the gospel. You may have been attending here for a few months. You're listening and you're checking out the claims of Christianity. And there is no better day to believe than today. In fact, in our first service, Eric Dunkerson was baptized. And he came um, starting about November of last year and came for several months. Was saved in May. Um, I'm not sure. that He came in a November and he was saved the following May. But he sat for weeks and months listening and checked out the claims until he finally believed. And one of our ladies I talked to this past week came a few weeks back after an invitation from one of our members. 
And her first Sunday was when we did the cardboard testimonies. And she said she just broke down and cried and said, Lord, I need a new start. And the next day she was saved. She called a friend who knew what it meant to be saved. And she said, hey, I've heard these things at church. And I know you go to church and the friend led to the Lord right there in her own home. There's some neat things happening like that. And today could be your day when, you've no long, when you're no longer going to say, you know what, I'm tired of putting this off. But instead you're going to believe. Just trust Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved. Salvation has a name. Its name is Jesus. And today, if God is calling out to you again, if you're hearing the echo of grace, please don't turn a deaf ear. Please don't say no. Let your heart be lifted up in response to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe. And I embrace the gospel and I take my stand upon it. Save me. God, this very moment, will do exactly that. He'll save you. Aren't you thankful for second chances, for grace opportunities? Let's take the best advantage of all those this week by turning our nose into now. And let's be like Joan and hear the echo of grace and respond by obeying. Stand with me, First Family. Would you, everyone, standing, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.